Hello and welcome to the 2023 Ergo Summit. This talk is going to be on loans. Um, it's going to be on discussion of traditional banking models, its limits and alternatives, and particularly on the cryptocurrency space, how loans work and the lending platforms that are available on Ergo. Uh, I'm uh, Cafe Bedwan, as I'm known within the Ergo community, so you know who's given this little talk. And uh, let's start with a basic model of bank. It's, it's not exactly how banking works, but it's, it's a way to think about it. So uh, with banking, you've got three actors. You have depositors, and depositors are primarily interested in uh, mitigating the effects of inflation. They want to be able to you know, have a little bit more money back than what they would deposit with the bank. Um, there's the other end of the spectrum, which is the borrower, which typically wants to um, you know, either use some asset that they have to get money or they want to buy something to get a larger asset that uh, they don't have the money to purchase outright themselves. And in between those two people um, sits the bank. And they profit by uh, you know, working the differences between the percentages between what they pay the depositor and what they pay the borrower. So their incentives are to pay the depositor as little as possible. And on the other end, they're incentivized to charge borrowers as much as the market will bear. And there's a balancing act to be made because banks, uh, the fundamental problem that banks need to deal with is you don't want to be in a position, which a lot of banks are in now, where you have long term loans. So if you loan money for someone uh, to buy a house a couple of years ago, and you are only charging 3% for that loan, and then the market changes such that like right now you have uh, you know an inflation rate of 5%. So depositors might decide to say, hey, you know, in order to have my deposits, it should be 4%. And then you're in a position where you're paying more for the deposits than you're getting from the loans. And for a bank, that's a great way to get into bankruptcy. And so, um, and so this kind of drives some concerns for banks for their incentives. Um, the, the main concern, well, you know, main concern for bank is they have to have liquidity to address that situation should it come up. They need to be able to give bar, uh, depositors back their money, and they need to be covering this uh, the interest rate differential. And that means you need to have cash on hand in case that comes up, as we've seen. And some sometimes uh, banks get caught out. As, uh, as happened with some uh, bank failures that have happened recently. And, and, you know, as part of that, one of the things that you need to be concerned about is this issue of collateral. When you look up here, it says, oh, well, you know, hey, if I, if I have collateral that's worth twice as much as the loan that I'm coming out, then we're good, right? And in the case of the bank, the answer to that is no, actually not. The reason why they, they, they give loans to people is based on their uh, – you know, their credit worthiness, their income tax, their net worth. They're really interested in the individual and they're making a, a call about whether or not they want to make a loan to an individual. But the collateral is there to make the backstop them, to make sure that if they don't get paid, that they have something to go after. But the last thing that a bank wants to do is be able to, you know, take possession of a house and then have to sell it. And if that situation comes up, it's not just going to be one house, it might be a hundred houses. And you know, are they going to suddenly sell that into a market? And, you know, it's a, it's a way to lose a lot of money. And so banks ideally want to be in a situation where, um, 
you know, they're, they're never collecting collateral. They would much rather just get paid, and which is why they have this, this underwriting process that focuses on the individual. And, of course, that has implications, too, that, um, you know, a bank can then only serve people with an extensive credit history, with uh, significant reserves, they have a large income, and so forth and so on. And it means that places like, um, you know, Africa or rural communities and so forth and so on don't get to... Uh, don't get banking services because it's not profitable for a bank to provide them. And, you know, and, and we can think about the costs of um, the bank lending uh, setup. They have operational costs. They have a bank. So if it's a rural community, is it profitable to set up this bank if, if you're not able to make the kinds of loans that make the bank money? And then the underwriting costs. Do the people there have uh, the resources and the incomes and so forth that would would be high enough that you want to extend a loan to them. And then there's the issue of borrower default risk. Are, are, you know, will situations change such that they'll lose their job or something happen where you won't be able to pay the loan and then um, you know, the bank will then have to go after the collateral, assuming there is any. Um, and maybe, maybe something happens with, um, like if it's a house, for instance, on a mortgage, maybe it goes underwater and it's actually worth less than the loan that, uh, that was there to buy it because the, the economic market has changed. And then, of course, we get back to that issue of financing costs, which is paying depositors' interest. And if the environment changes like it has recently, you're going to have to pay um, higher interest rates for depositors, or otherwise they're going to go someplace else, and you're not going to be able to run your business as a bank. So, you know, this is kind of like a, a framework of saying, like, you know, there's a lot of costs involved with running a bank, and there's limits in what a bank can actually do for for parts of the world. They're just, the banking model will not work for a lot of the areas of the world. It, 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 the infrastructure is not there. So listen, you know, what, what other kinds of models are out there? One of them is pawn shop lending. And it looks the same. You, know, you eliminate the depositors, but there is a major difference in a pawn shop in that a pawn shop really does want the collateral. It's not about like whether the borrower can pay. They don't care about the borrower. The borrower could be anyone. They don't, the only thing that a pawn shop typically worries about with the borrower is, you know, did they steal something? Are they, are they trying to sell me stolen goods and am I going to get in some kind of problem with authorities about it? And if they don't have that problem, then it doesn't really matter who the borrower is. The, the main issue is, is what's the collateral and then how much money am I going to offer as a loan based on this collateral? It's an over-collateralized loan is what the the, um, the, pawn, the the pawn shop is, is offering. And so they don't have to worry about a lot of these issues that, um, that banks do. So if you think about the same thing as a, you know, the same setup as a, as a bank, what are their costs? Well, they have operational costs. They have a store that they have to run where people can come and buy the things that have been pawned. Um, and they have financing costs. So people will come in and they have to figure out like, well, who are we going to lend money to because we have a limited pool of financing that that we have and what kinds of things do we want to, uh, to take as collateral and, you know, have in our store and, um, you know, are we going to get our, you know, are we going to get our money back doesn't factor in as much because they have the item and they can always sell that item for more than the loan. And then, and this is a good setup for cryptocurrency because, it's a, you know, you can take the, the issue that, like, the pawn shop brings and really, you know, eliminates these underwriting costs and some of these other problems and, uh, and reduces them even further. I mean, your operational costs for cryptocurrency, I mean, 
you already have the, the blockchain itself, which um, you know exists out there as infrastructure that you can tap into. So really, the only thing you need to do if you're going to create a lending platform is the smart contracts that live on that on that cryptocurrency um, and and a website that connects to it that enables people to you know connect their wallets and and to do some activity with it. The other interesting thing about uh, cryptocurrency lending is that you're not restricted in the case like a, you know. If you're at a uh, pawn shop, it's only like, you know, what's in the cash drawer? That's what we can offer people in terms of loans. Um, but with, uh, with cryptocurrency, you actually have a global base of depositors. I mean, even banks don't have that. You have this large base of people, and, and, and you can handle any level of transaction. So, you know, it doesn't matter to you if it's only $1. It doesn't matter to you if it's, you know, uh, millions of dollars. It's, it, it's all you know, just a transaction on a blockchain, it's just numbers. And so you can handle, um, you know, obviously there's some limits in terms of, uh, uh, you know, how many transactions per second and some of the capabilities of the blockchain itself. But there is a, it does change the framework of what's possible in a way that, you know, a, a bank tends to be local and be uh, governed by rules for a particular state um, and, and you know, kind of economic situation where, um, you know, cryptocurrency is a true global kind of financial platform that uh, hasn't existed before. And there's a lot of uh, ways that it will drive down costs, uh, create access for people that currently don't have access to financial services. And so there's a, there's a real opportunity here for cryptocurrency to do something that, uh, you know, that hasn't existed before and could benefit uh, many people. Okay, so this is straight from the EXLE site. Um, it talks about the Ergo Manifesto, which, um, you know, the focus there is on the fact that a blockchain allows anyone, any business size, any location, you know, any kind of environment to conduct some kind of economic transaction. It, it doesn't really, um, it, it's not set up to limit you based on your geography or um, based on some kind of arbitrary requirements. It's an open, it's an open platform. So, um, you know, and this has implications for, uh, you know, it's available because it's, it's uh, something people access via their cell phones or uh, on their computers. Uh, the loan cost is low because it's smart contracts. So these, you know, it's a computer program. It's not people sitting there evaluating your background and your ability to pay. Um, it's secure because it's cryptocurrency and, it, you know, there's uh, secure protocols for accessing and, uh, and using it. And, uh, you know, so a lot of the things that uh, involved in the banking, even the, the, the pawn shop model, are uh, eliminated if you uh, use a cryptocurrency as your base platform to, uh, to do your lending. So on Ergo, you have three loan platforms. You have EXLE, which is a pooled, uncollateralized lending platform. You have uh, DuckPools.io, which is a pooled, collateralized lending platform. And then you have Signify, which is a person-to-person -person P2P lending pro protocol. Um, you know, what does that mean? So let's, let's look at each in turn. So uh, EXL is a kind of social lending platform. Um, probably the closest thing that we have to that uh, that exists in traditional finance would be Kiva, which is microfinance where, um, you know, people are responsible for the community. And so the collateral is basically their social credit or their standing within the community. And so they, you know, that that's how you're not, you're not there with a, you know, a lot of money that you can sit there and say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go and, 
you know, give you my animal or, uh, you know, my deed to my house or whatever. It's just people say, okay, we, we know that person, they're trustworthy, and we're going to extend them um, some money. And it's all tracked on the smart contract, so uh, on the blockchain, so you know, you know, who has borrowed what and what the repayments have been and so forth and so on. And so it's a whole different model where there's no, um, there's no collateral. It's, uh, the collateral is your, uh, your standing in the community. And uh, in the case of, uh, you know, this kind of lending, it's, uh, it would be important because if you, uh, you know, let's say that you're a depositor and you'd put in uh, 10, $10,000 into uh, a, a community to, uh, to improve it. And then they decide, okay, we're going to take $8,000 and we're going to build a well so that we have better access to water for the, you know, 1,000 people in our community. And then, um, you know, they said they have 20000 and they're like, you know, and we'd also like to start like a, a fishing, you know, maybe a, a, a catfish uh, business, which can be done for, you know, $2,000 to $9,000 or something like that. And, you know, there may be a specific person, there may be a specific community. Um, there's a lot of ways in which, uh, you know, that might break out, but... Uh, this is a way to kind of build in some basic infrastructure for the community that then would enable them to, uh, you know, work out some other kind of services. You might be able to get cattle or goats or, you know, uh, some other agriculture, you know, fields. This all becomes possible once you get the well, but how do you get that $8,000 to build the well? Well, you know, therein lies the problem because they don't have any financial services available. And so you have to come up with some kind of alternative system. And this is something that cryptocurrency is ideally suited for. You can uh, you have a global system. There's a lot of different people available to uh, to offer deposits. Um, you, but in this case, um, there's there's no return for the depositor. So you know it's going to require building up the infrastructure not only for these communities but for also this lending platform so that it can be a viable source for people for depositors to to make the initial you know initially it's going to it's more of a, a charitable setup. But if you get economies of scale such that um, you know these these folks in these community can can borrow and get it at a better rate than they would from money lenders um, locally, um, then you can you you would have a viable business model that would drive down prices for the, these communities, and then they would be able to to create the infrastructure to to you know get a better standard of living for themselves. But initially, it's going to require people to come in and say we're going to we're going to work to build this kind of system and, and get enough kind of uh, gravity going to uh, to support it. And to build it out so it, it, it can be an actual um, force kind of in the world and kind of change the way that, uh, that we do finance. Uh, Duck Pools is a little different. Duck Pools is geared toward, um, you know, the kind of traditional model. It eliminates the banking component and puts a smart contract uh, there. And uh, the value of this really, uh, it, you know, comes down to a couple things. You're putting it into a pool, so you're sharing the risk. And then the risk of each pool is going to be dependent on what kind of collateral they accept. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're there, if you're collateral that accepts SIG RSV, for instance, which is a leveraged position against Ergo, um, you know, you run the risk of, of, of if, you know, Ergo doesn't do well, you'll, you'll get less returns. You may even get negative returns. But if it does really well, um, and then you'll get more returns than you might otherwise. But because you're in a pool, uh, by definition, um, the pool is not going to be used all the time. It's got to be, not going to be maximally used. So there's some uh, capital inefficiency of putting it into a pool, but you're also sharing the risk. Um, and so there's some advantages to that. And then uh, one way to think about it is, you know, 
this looks very much like a bank, except you're substituting the smart contract pool. But the way DuckPools has their setup is it's kind of the, the better metaphor might be a mutual fund. So the pools themselves act as kind of like a, uh, you know, a different kind of focus, what kinds of collateral they would accept. And then those can be those, once you make a deposit, you'll be giving a token that represents what your deposit in the pool and those tokens themselves can be uh, traded. So it's, it's much more liquid. It's kind of like, you know, if you bought mutual fund shares, you can go ahead and sell those shares. You don't have to cash them into cash and then do something else with them. Um, so this is a little bit more uh, complicated than a bank, um, more of a kind of a, a financial product, but, um, but also uh, like a bank, you have uh, limits on your capital efficiency and limits on your risk. And the risk is largely dependent on what kind of collateral is set up when the smart contract is, uh, is developed and, and what size to take as collateral. But a different model, certainly uh, one that cuts out the middleman of the banker, and it certainly uh, helps leverage the technology of uh, the blockchain to uh, you know, provide lending both for the, the, the borrower and the, so that they can do whatever it is that they want to do and the depositor can get a return that can uh, mitigate some of the effects of uh, inflation. And finally, this is, uh, this is uh, how uh, DuckPools kind of thinks of their own uh, setup. They have a pool contract. Um, it shows that the, uh, the borrower puts something in the collateral contract and depending upon uh, whether they repay the loan, uh, they either get their collateral back or their collateral is liquidated and put in uh, close out the loan and then pays into the pool contract. So this is, uh, this is straight from their white paper on, uh, on how that's, their contracts are constructed. Uh, and then we've got Signify person-to-person -person lending. And this is straight, basically, a, a smart contract sits between the lender and the borrower. It's a single person. It's not a pool of people. So that by virtue of that, there's a lot more risk, but um, not that much risk because of the fact that the uh, you know it's defined by what kind of collateral that you accept because you're the one making the decision whether or not to lend money for a particular um, loan request. And the other thing that's interesting about Signify uh, P2P lending is it's initiated by the borrower. The borrower sets the terms for the contract. Uh, another important aspect of it is that. Um, there is no auto liquidation. So basically it's for the term of the contract. And then if it is not paid back within the term of the contract, you know, once it gets past the, uh, the end date, if it's not repaid, then the, uh, the lender can take the collateral and, uh, and, and the contract closes out that way. Uh, otherwise, if before the contract ends, the borrower repays the, uh, you know, the, the head amount for the, the loan, and then they get the collateral back and uh, the loan closes out that way. So, um, but the really important detail here is, is that it's, there's no auto liquidations that happen ever. Uh, once it gets past the time, the lender has to come in and you know, collect that collateral and claim it. And uh, in the meantime, there's no case where the borrower has to worry about, hey, I put that collateral in there and it's dropped, before a certain, you know, dropped down to a certain level and uh, now I'm gonna be liquidated and, uh, and I'm stuck. This, is, uh, this doesn't work that way. And it's an important uh, innovation or detail uh, because a lot of places do have these auto liquidation features and uh, it's kind of a, not, a, not, so, not a desirable quality when you're a borrower of funds. You want to be able to claim your collateral later on 
uh, irrespective of what the market does. And then, uh, so this is what the website looks like. As you can see, there's uh, significant differences and uh, different terms of loan or how long they are. Uh, you got 24 months loan, 12 months loan, how much collateral is offered, how much interest is offered. Um, each one of these comes with a different profile depending on um, you know, what you're interested in as a lender. And, uh, and this is someone putting together, uh, you know, making a borrowing request and fulfilling the loan. All you have to do is click on the lend, as you can see from the, uh, the image here. You click on the lend, and uh, you know, Nautilus will will launch you to uh, you know to for you to sign the the transaction, and uh, and then you you know the loan goes through. From the uh, you know up there, you can see at the top that uh, once the loan goes through, it'll be on a dashboard. There's a, a debit uh, section if you've uh, if you uh, ask for a loan, and then uh, there's a another section there for uh, for people who have made loans. And you just go there and you can figure out how much time is left on the loans uh, and, and see the situation as it currently is. If you want to uh, put in a loan, it's simply a matter of, you can see there, there's the new loan request there on the right-hand side. Uh, you click that and then this uh, thing will come up and you can plug in the amount, what assets are you looking for, what term, how long is it going to be, um, the interest that you're willing to pay, and then you just add collateral uh, using Nautilus about what's in your wallet. And you hit confirm, and that puts the initial kind of uh, open order into the marketplace that uh, lenders can look at and decide whether or not they want to fund or not. So it's a very straightforward process, um, borrower-driven. There's no liquidation of uh, collateral. Uh, the only time liquidation happens is if you do not fulfill the terms of the loan request that you're the one that put together. So uh, a very fair system, and as you can see from this picture, there's a there's a UI fee of uh, 0.01 erg, and there's a minor fee of 0.0022 erg, and then um, and then on the other side of it, when someone fulfills the loan, there's a, a nominal cost for the UI as well there, as uh, as well as a, a cost for the contracts. Now the person that put that together. So, um, but you know, they're, they're relatively small, uh, and this is a relatively straightforward process. Like I said, though, um, it's straight. Uh, borrower and lender connected by a smart contract. So uh, a bit more risk than if you use something like duck pools and pooled your resources into a pool that people can access. Um, but also a uh, good reward, but you, you just have to make sure that uh, you evaluate it, make sure that it has a good ratio uh, to collateral to uh, what the return is and, um, and how long it is and, and make a judgment call about whether it's a, a loan that makes sense to you. So that, uh, that provides a basic overview of these three lending progr uh, programs that are on Ergo. It, it should be said that SigmaFi is the only one that's uh, it's a, uh, currently in uh, beta, but, uh, but the other two haven't. Uh, one of them is being tested, I believe. Uh, the EXLE is being tested in a community in Kenya. And, uh, and duck pools, I believe, are having their contracts reviewed, but it's currently not available for use at the site, but it should be coming up uh, here within a few months. So uh, worth noting, but uh, this is an overview of these particular things. Signify is live. Yeah, you can try it today. And um, if you have any questions, of course, uh, you're welcome to come to Telegram or Discord uh, using the links here, and uh, people will be glad to give you any assistance you might need. And that uh, ends our little talk on uh, Lending in general and uh, lending on the Ergo platform. 
Um, thanks so much.